0: Hey Barry. Hey Al. Did you hear about the magic skillet?
1: No, I didn't. Tell me more about it.
0: Well, it's made of cast iron. It's time for Compelled Duel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Al. And I'm Barry. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons actual play
1: podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. We are almost there. You must conduct yourself with dignity at the games. This is Katya of Clan Mistfoot, she who wrote The Snapping Turtle. She won games last year, so she starts games this year, Yes?
0: I am Nessa Valnok of the Seawall Merchants Guild. This asshole is Killian Cassidy, don't pay any attention to anything that comes out of his mouth, and that is the lovely, incomparable, radiant Miriam Adler. You go and sign up for some events. There are The Feats of Strength, The Feats of Nimbleness, The Feats of Fortitude, The Running of the Beasts, The Playing of Songs, and The
1: Recollection of Deeds. Hi, yes, we'd like to sign up for all of these.
0: Look, I don't like it any better than you do, but if Katja Goose dragging those Australians into Stormfolk waters right now, with everything that's happened, you know who will come to collect them.
1: So the Stormfolk know something. Where
0: is your proof? I'm sorry, our what? You are disqualified from the recollection of dates. What? What's going on? A uh, big cats is very dangerous. <laughs> we have to
1: go. How great of a deed would it be if someone were to slay this cat? Would be greater deed than slaying a raccoon? Two little elves versus one big cat. I'm afraid to sound overconfident, but we face down worse odds, right? Why do you say things? <laughs> we're gonna get fucking killed. You
0: see stalking close to the tree this massive, silvery-gray crag cat. And Fee at your shoulder, says, Yeah. I think we got this. So, Leo, this humongous crag cat is approaching the tree. Your sister is standing behind you, bracing herself. What are you doing?
1: I'm going to stand there until this one and Ilva finish getting everybody out of the tree, and then I am going to run up onto the top of the risers and duck down and try to stealth to see if I can get a surprise round on this thing.
0: Fee's going to get a little more distance. She's going to duck behind the stage, and she is also going to try and stealth to see if she can get a
1: surprise round. Standing on the top row of these benches, he reaches down, pulls out his long sword, and goes, Ugh! and it goes down to the ground next to him. Ah, shit! This is heavy. With his strength modifier reduction, he's going to do even less damage <laughs> with his long sword because it's a strength modified weapon.
0: Fee pulls a short sword out of a sheath at her belt because she has had it in her inventory this whole time and has never used it, and tosses it to him. <laughs>
1: He doesn't catch it. It just kind of clatters to the ground at his feet. But he looks down and goes, you know what? My pride is wounded enough at this point and leans down and picks it up and then reaches down to his belt. You see him hesitate a little bit, but then his hand closes around the hilt of another blade at his belt and pulls it out. It's a weird bone short sword dagger looking thing. Looks to be made out of some kind of organic material. And he's setting himself up on top of these risers like he's ready to drop down on whatever comes in. You guys set up in your positions. You wait. A few very tense minutes of silence pass. And then you hear this low rumbling purr and a shuddering footfall of paws on the ground outside the tree. And this Absolutely massive cat makes its way under the archway. I am going to need you and Leo to both roll stealth checks against this cat's perception. Because you might get a surprise round. Eleven. Okay, Leo rolled a twenty-four to stealth. (laughs) Leo gets down in between the bleachers. Ready. (laughs) Let me roll perception for the cat. Okay, the cat rolled a 12 to perception, so you are not going to get a surprise round, but Leo is. He is dual wielding, so he's going to get two attacks. One of those attacks is going to hit. Hey, yes, sir. So for the surprise round to start off our combat, Leo hunkers down in between these two bleachers, waits for the cat to come by and then jumps down onto its back and rams his short sword down in between its shoulder blades for 11 damage and locks himself in he is on this thing's back and now we're all gonna roll initiative well leo rolled a nat 20 huh? okay. so that's 25
0: so you got a 23 so does Leo get an extra surprise round with our rule?
1: Yes, he does. Okay, because he rolled a nat 20 on initiative, he's going to get another surprise round, which makes sense. He's on the cat's back. The cat rolled an eight. Leo's going to get another surprise round in on the cat, and then you guys are both going to get a round in on it. So he's going to make two more attacks, dual wielding. <laughs> what? I'm not even shitting you, dude. I just rolled another nat 20. I- So that's the first one (laughs) And the second one's gonna hit too (laughs) Okay, so the first one he's gonna roll 2d6 plus 5 So that's another 12 damage And the second one He doesn't get to add his modifier to this one Because he's wielding it offhand So just another 3 damage
0: And then he gets to take his actual turn
1: Oh god Okay, so that's two more attacks What? 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 Remind me to put this dice in the highest position of authority in our home, because I just rolled another goddamn NAT 20. Fucking kidding? Laryl Valseine didn't come to play today. (laughs) Okay, well the second one was a three, so he doesn't hit on the second one. But Another nine damage. You watch your brother go full rodeo on this cat. He drops down onto its back from the top of the risers, gets a sword in between its shoulder blades, locks himself in, and just starts fucking stabbing the shit out of it. It is roaring and pawing and trying to buck him off. You were still hiding behind this stage. Arguably, Fee, this is the most badass you've ever seen Leo be.
0: Fee failed that stealth check. The cat already knows she's there. She yells, fucking nice! And then, after a second, you're in the way so bad, but that was so cool. And then she's going to cast a fourth level guiding bolt on this cat. And I'm going to use sorcery points to do quick and spell to use true strike so I can give myself advantage. 24. Okay, excellent. Roll damage. No whammies, no whammies. Some whammies. Fee does want this to be over relatively quickly, because this is a very large cat that is very close to her and her brother. So she's going to use another sorcery point to do empowered spell, so I can reroll up to five of my dice. Three, four, five. 26 damage. And the next person that makes an attack on the cat has advantage.
1: You guys got the jump on this cat. It's already not looking great, but it is its turn. Leo's on its back. As a DM, I'm going to say that the cat is going to have advantage to try to claw attack him off its own back. So let me roll for that. Attacker wins, so it hits. It met Leo's AC, but just barely. This cat manages to just hook one claw into the back of his armor and fling him off. So Leo takes 13 damage from that. And he is prone on the ground because he has been thrown from the back of this giant cat. But then it's back to his turn and he's going to use half his movement to get up. He is within attacking range of the cat, however, so his first attack is going to get advantage because of your guiding bolt. That's a natural 17. He's absolutely going to hit it. Second attack. Second attack is not going to hit. So he's going to do 1d6 plus 5 damage. 8 damage on the cat. And then Fi, it is your turn.
0: So Fi's going to use her other 4th level spell slot to cast another guiding bolt. And I'm going to do the same thing. So I'm going to use 2 sorcery points to cast quicken spell. So I can do a true strike, so I can give myself advantage. Interesting, interesting. Okay, yeah, uh, I don't hit.
1: (laughs) Oof, buddy, that sucks. It does see you shooting the spell off at it, though. Your spell goes wide right past the cat's ear, ruffles its fur. It growls at you, and then wiggles its haunches and crouches down. And it's going to use its pounce feature as it runs towards you to try to attack you. <laughs> Feet as a 23 hit your
0: armor class? A 23 is 10 over my armor class, so I would hope so.
1: Okay, so here's what happens. First of all, you take 11 slashing damage, and then I need you to make me a DC 14 strength save. I rolled a flat 14, so that's a 17. You are not knocked prone. This cat does get a good swipe on you, but it does not take you down to the ground. You jump back just in time to keep it from pinning you to the ground like a mouse.
0: Insult to injury, I'm going to cast Hellish Rebuke on it. So that's a DC
1: 16 dex safe. Alright. The cat does get advantage on this. So total, the cat rolled a 16 for its save. So here's what happens next. Fee, you've done a couple hellish rebukes. You know how it usually goes off. Instinctively, you cast one at this cat, and... (laughs) You see the lightning hit a barrier, and then turn back on you. So now I'm gonna need you to also make a DC 16 dexterity saving throw.
0: Nope. That's not gonna do it. I rolled a 5.
1: Okay. Fee, you take your own 19 lightning damage as the magic you send at this cat bounces off and rebounds back at you. Interesting. From across the tree, Leo watches this happen and you hear him yell, Fucking what? Fee yells back, I hate Oskaya
0: so much.
1: Magic cats? Magic cats! So the cat has moved way out of Leo's attack range. It's on top of the stage now and kind of took a swipe down at you when you tried that hellish rebuke move. It's within Leo's movement if he makes the DC-5 athletics check to hop up on the stage to get at it, so just let me do that really quick to make sure that that is feasible, given that Leo has a great big negative one to athletics now. Leo rolled a natural 18, (laughs) so he closes in on the cat no problem, and he's going to make two attacks at the top of the order. First one is a 21, is going to hit, second one, not going to hit. So first attack hits for another 11 damage. This cat looks highly miffed at this point, it is snarling and growling at both of you. And feet. now we are down to you. Leo is behind the cat on an angle, just in case you're wanting to use any area of effect.
0: Okay, uh, no, I'm gonna get the fuck out of there. I'm gonna cast a third level thunderstep, which means that since the cat is within 10 feet of me, it has to make a constitution saving throw, and I'm going to teleport up to 90 feet away. So I'm gonna get
1: back behind Leo. What's your safety C again? 16. The cat rolled a 15. It's going to take full damage. And
0: I'm going to use another empowered spell to re-roll some of my damage dice. So that's going to be
1: 26 thunder damage. This great big cat is starting to look a little hurt, but now it's the cat's turn. The cat is going to lean into the only other person up on the stage with it, which is Leo, and make a bite attack. Natural 19, that's absolutely gonna hit. Oh my god. So that's 22 damage. Ah! This thing sinks its fangs into Leo's upper shoulder, and absolutely throws him around like a chew toy. He is screaming at the top of his lungs, and then it drops him. And Leo's down to 28 hit points. But then it is his turn. (laughs) So he's gonna try to stab the cat as it tosses him around like a catnip-stuffed mouse. So his first attack is a natural 5. That's not gonna hit. His second attack is a 24, which is. However, he doesn't get to use his modifier on the second attack. He does 1 damage!
0: (laughs) Awwww!
1: This cat tosses Leo around like a small toy, and he just barely manages to swipe it with his knife as he's being thrown around. He does scream. It's very undignified. Fee, you're up.
0: Fee adjusts her stance a little bit, so she is rooted to the ground. And then to Leo, she yells, On your right! And then she's gonna cast a third-level Witch Bolt. Uh, I'm going to use my last two sorcery
1: points to try and give myself advantage.
0: So that's a 17.
1: All your sorcery points are gone and that still does not hit. The spell just barely goes wide over the fringed edge of this cat's ear as it thrashes your brother around and he yells. But you do not hit it. And then we're down to the cat. Fee, the cat is able to perceive that you are the greater threat at this point because you're shooting lightning at it. Leo does get an opportunity attack on it, six damage, and then skirts around him and moves in on you. It's going to make a bite attack. That's a 24 to hit.
0: Once again, my AC is 13.
1: Oh, well, that rolled ass. Six damage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, remember how you were talking about how rough Leo looks right now? He has double my hit points at this moment.
1: And then we are back up at the top of the order with Leo. Neither of which hits. I rolled a two and a four. He goes to try to make a running leap, and his depth perception just kind of falls through a little bit, and he just falls to the floor.
0: Fee yells, remember when we said that my overconfidence was going to help us out here?
1: I'm doing my fucking best, he yells from the dirt. And then it's your turn.
0: As a bonus action, I'm going to get rid of a second level spell slot to get myself two more sorcery points. And then I'm going to do something fun. I'm going to cast a thunderstep, and I'm going to try to get on top of the cat's back. Okay. I mean, that's not that far to move. It's well within the range, so. Make a con save. Nine. That's not going to do it, so the cat takes 3d10 damage. So I'm going to use one of the sorcery points, and I'm going to re-roll. One, two, three, four. Hi. And I'm gonna do 24 damage.
1: Alright. The cat is really not looking good. It is its turn now. And I'm on its back. You're on its back. It doesn't necessarily know where you went, though, because you're not stabbing it like Leo was, so it's gonna go ahead and swipe at him, because he's right in front of it. <sighs> that was a nat 20. <sighs> That just exactly knocks Leo unconscious. This cat gets him at the bottom of the jaw as he gets up to try to get to you, and just rakes a claw up and across his face, almost takes a fucking eye out, and he just falls to the floor, bleeding profusely. So, for his round, Leo's gonna have to make me a death save. 17, his first death save is a success. Fee, you're up. Fee's gonna try to cast Shocking Grasp. That was a natural 20. <laughs> okay. So that's gonna be 4d8. This cat knocks Leo out.
0: Fee, standing on its back, trying to, like, balance, like, a surfboarder is just going to drop both hands down into its shoulder blades and cast the Shocking Grasp and do 12 damage.
1: And that is enough to take this cat out of commission. It staggers, roars, and falls to the ground in a heap. Leo is still unconscious on the ground in front of you.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pour the whole healing potion that we got earlier down his throat.
1: You pull the healing potion out of your bag, pop the cork out, make him swallow it. He comes up. (gasps) Ow! 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 Just screaming and pawing at his face. He's bleeding heavily. Fee kind of like flutters
0: her hands frustratedly and says, Healing magic is not my thing. Wait there, and then charges outside and sends up a lightning bolt into the air.
1: You shoot off this lightning bolt, it goes up into the sky. Several minutes pass, and then from out of the rim of trees, beyond this great pool surrounding the tree, you see three silhouettes approaching. Out of the forest, you see Ilva and this one And then Katya of Clan Mistfoot, She Who Rode the Snapping Turtle, all three emerging from the forest, approaching the fallout of this battle, where Leo is still on the ground and you are outside sending up a distress signal. Katya is the first person that closes the distance, just taking big, long strides across the shallow part of this pool. She looks around at the dead cat on the ground, you still standing with your wand in the air, and Leo laying in the dirt, and goes, What happened?
0: Fee dresser swears the dead crag cat and says, We killed the cat, if that was not self-evident.
1: Is that proof enough for you? Leo from the ground says, I jumped on its back, it was super cool! In a very pained voice.
0: He did jump on his back, it was super cool.
1: I also shot a lot of
0: lightning at it. You saw the lightning outside. You two babies,
1: you slew the Craig Cat. As I said, yes. Very interesting, Katya says and takes a step back and nods to herself. You see Ilva is chomping at the bit to get over to Leo. She lunges forward and then Katya holds an arm out and keeps her back. She says, if this is to be their deed, they cannot have help, cousin. From the ground, Leo goes, what? Sorry, what? If this is to be your great deed that you submit, you cannot have outside help other than medical attendance here for the games. You understand.
0: He takes a very deep breath and then in Elvish says, I
1: hate Ovskaya so bad. Leo, from the ground, in a lamentable voice, yells my face! And slowly, from around you, you watch all of the other people that just left start to emerge from the woods.
0: Leo, when you start being able to think through the pain in your face, you are in the little medical tent that was set up earlier, With this old, old earth genasi lady just slowly stitching up your face.
1: Ow, ow,
0: ow, okay, mm mm-hmm. This old lady says, This will leave scar.
1: Well, ma'am, so far, banking on how pretty I am hasn't done me much good, so keep doing what you're doing. Leo says, and looks super bitter about it.
0: You're still not gonna use any of your magic?
1: Leo's hand drifts down to the hilt of Kimrel's blade at his belt and closes around it for a second but then he clenches his jaw shakes his head and then holds still so she can keep stitching him up
0: this old lady keeps stitching up your face after a minute fee comes into the tent and just kind of sits down next to you she like gingerly holds out a hand <laughs>
1: Yeah, for the more painful part of the procedure, Leo does reach down and squeeze her hand really hard. Leo is going
0: to have a massive scar from about the hinge of his jaw all the way up over his mouth and over his right cheekbone to the corner of his eye.
1: Yep, he's willing to live with that rather than compromise what it would take to use his own magic to fix it. He's not going to sacrifice that for vanity.
0: So this old lady finishes stitching up your face. Feel kind of helps you stagger out back into the rest of the tree. Where Katya is doing the ending ceremony for the games. She enthusiastically raises her arms and says... And here we have the winners of this year's games, and then she says, "Come here, come here." I come there. She gingerly grabs both sides of your face. (laughs) All right. Mm. And then she looks you in the eyes. She says, "Your name is what?" Laryl Valsine. She nods. She says, "By deed." I name you Leryl who rode the Cracket.
1: Leo winces because he has this lady's big hand on his very freshly stitched wound. But then he goes, that's really cool, actually. <laughs> and then Katja nods and you like watch her go
0: to pat you on the sides of the face and then stop herself. <laughs> and then she just nods again, <laughs> moves over and grips Fi by either side of the face. And says, "Your name is what?" Fee says, "Ferora." kachi says, "By deed,
1: I name you Ferora, who brings thunder upon her enemies." Under his breath, Leo goes, "That's so fucking sick!" And looks over at Fee. He looks back at you and just grins. And
0: then Katsu pats Fee on either side of the face, puts her hands back up, and says. By tradition,
1: I owe the two of you a favor. Leo shifts back into political mode the best that he can through the pain and the confusion. Steps in front of her, bows, and says, The favor we would ask is passage on your ship to Candlelight Wharf in the sovereign principalities of Tordun, with all the protection between here and there that you may offer us. She nods, she says, this is good.
0: Tomorrow we sail. And then she raises her hands bombastically and yells to the rest of the crowd. But tonight,
1: we drink! I wholeheartedly agree, Miss she who Rode Where is the booze?
0: You get ushered off. Ylva and this one and this one's brother just kind of like grab you and pull you over to a small gathering where the three of them and Ylva's friends and this one's brother's gym bros are all just getting a little tipsy. Killian Cassidy looks you up and down and then he says, Game's fairly won, lad. And then he nods and he just raises his glass in a silent toast.
1: You can at least depart with the knowledge that you're prettier than me. Leo says, and just grabs the strongest booze in the vicinity. Under his breath, he says, I was prettier than you when I got here. Fuck it, man. I'll drink to that. It's been a day. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Everybody gets a little deep in their cups. Ylva's friend Nessa at one point gets up on the table and says, All right, here's my proposition. We go do some target practice. In the fields. First person that hits me with a rock, I buy drinks for for the next week. I mean, that's
1: a little unfair. We're out of here tomorrow. And I don't feel like throwing rocks at you. You gave us fair competition. This one reaches out and pats Nessa on the head.
0: Their palm completely engulfs this little goblin lady's skull. And they say,
1: baby, get down off the table. Oh, Nessa is also baby. I-, I-, I figured we were past Baby, given that we won the games. Baby is persistent? Miriam Adler,
0: <laughs> with a flag of booze in her hand, just starts giggling. <laughs> she just slowly puts her head down on the table, and she says,
1: "Lad, there's no word in giantish for short. Oh my god, there's no word in giantish for short, that makes so much sense. Miriam just fucking loses it.
0: (laughs) This one is looking at you kind of perplexed and says, She is baby,
1: you are baby. Oh my god, yes, I'm baby! I'm baby! (laughs) I fucking hate it here! (laughs) I thought you were insulting me the whole time, but no,
0: you're right, I am baby! This one squints at you and kind of sways in their seat
1: and goes, Yes, this one has said this. Oh, this one. I've been meaning to ask you, how are your soap stores doing after the cat attack?
0: Yeah, it is good. You stop cat before it destroys both.
1: I have a word for you in common that I want to pitch. What is word? Franchising.
0: (laughs) And with that, we close out on that scene. It is the morning, you are all quite hungover, it's very early, and you are making your way onto Katja's boat. Ylva and this one do give you both hugs before you get on the boat,
1: just absolutely crushing. Leo hugs both of them back super tight, and when he's still locked in his hug with this one, he says, Are you too sure you don't want to come with us? It's gonna be a hell of an adventure. This one laughs
0: and pats you on the back. (laughs) We cannot just pack up and leave. This one is small business owner. We have kids that is staying with this one's sister. You have a cat? pygmy cat. And then they hold their hands about six feet apart.
1: Thank you both for everything that you did for us. You... Didn't have to do any of it, and you saved us, and we won't forget it. Will we, Fee? Fee,
0: still being just hugged by Ylva, goes, "Nope, no, we, uh, we certainly won't." Ylva pulls back and she nods at both of you, and then, just very seriously, very solemnly, she says, "We will see you again." This is not goodbye,
1: merely so long. I certainly hope so. Leo's a little choked up as he gets on the boat, honestly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think Fee is like discreetly wiping tears away from her eyes. She just nods to herself, she says. So, on to Candlelight Wharf, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Leo says, and nods as the ship starts to weigh anchor and pull away from the dock. By the way, have I mentioned that I get really seasick? Fee, you are on this boat for several weeks. It's pretty boring. You don't really have much to do during this time other than think and hang out with your brother. Leo gets his stitches out after about a week. You can tell just by looking at the condition that the wound on his face is in, he's going to have a scar from this for the rest of his life. It's pretty obvious that his facial expressions are always going to be a little bit lopsided from the scarring, but he seems to be healing fairly well. He doesn't get sick again. Nothing bad really happens. You're given a small cabin up towards where Katya's captain's quarters are and spend a lot of time in there. Leo hangs out with you a lot. You get the impression that he does not want to be alone with his thoughts during this time at all. And so he's always hovering pretty closely to you. Which is why it's kind of weird one night a couple weeks into your voyage when you wake up and he's not in the cabin in the wee hours of the morning.
0: Okay. I'm gonna try to figure out where he went, obviously. (laughs)
1: Roll Investigation for me, please. 16. You lay there in your bed, just kind of looking around your room for a while, and then up on the deck above your head, you hear the scuffle of footsteps across the wood.
0: (sighs) He gets out of bed and goes up on the deck.
1: There's a cool breeze when you emerge out onto the deck, the smell of salt water, the rush of the ocean around the boat, which is gently rocking. There are a few lanterns hanging from posts along the deck, but it's pretty dimly lit. You're relying a lot on your dark vision to see. And eventually you spot Leo sitting with his head up against the rail of the ship looking extremely nauseous and very pained.
0: I'm going to walk over and like crouch down next to him and say, so seasickness still hitting pretty hard, huh?
1: Have I ever mentioned that I fucking hate boats? Repeatedly and at length, yes. (laughs) He just continues to sit there in silence for a couple more moments, looking really sick, and then eventually tilts his head back, leans his head back against the side of the railing, and just looks up at the sky for a little bit. There's a long moment of silence between you two, and finally he says, What happened to Soren? I- I mean, I know what happened to Soren, but... What... Happened? Fee
0: takes a very deep breath, just fully sits down on the deck. Are you... Sure you want to have that conversation right now?
1: I'm sure enough that the truth is going to be preferable to the narratives that I've been bouncing around the inside of my own head since I found out. So, yeah...
0: fair enough well uh, there's a very long story that I don't know all of the details of regarding a group of people that have some very particular aims that you don't need to know about but he was arrested The and then she like winces the official story is that he joins priesthood but I overheard Father and Ambassador Petrus saying otherwise.
1: The priesthood. Leo grits his teeth, shakes his head, looks sick for more reasons than one now. That island takes everything from people.
0: Fee nods, she says. I didn't get to see the details, but... Soren was doing some research on it. And apparently, a lot of the people that have gone there to escape execution have, well, not.
1: It's not just those people. Leo's hands ball up in the fabric of his pants. Australian pirates are a thing, apparently. And they've been taking people from... Tordoon from the Zephyr Isles, from Dowrier, for as long as anybody else in the world can remember. Whatever that place is, whatever Australia is, whatever the crown is, it's built on blood and death and lies. And I can't stop asking myself how many people have died because I thought that I wanted it.
0: I'm not sure what we're supposed to do about it now. If we stay out of it, then father continues doing what he was doing, which will get more people killed. And if we don't, who knows what happens.
1: We don't stay out of it, that's for damn sure. What we do is we go back to Vogvoldur, we get ourselves together, we go home, We stop the old man from whatever part he has in all of this. Leo's jaw sets, and you see him look off towards the east, where the ocean meets the horizon. And then I'm gonna burn that fucking island to the ground. She snorts and leans her head
0: back on the railing and says, Well, handling father is one thing. A difficult thing, but one that I think we can manage. Taking down the entire church is
1: a bit of a tall order. A tall order, but one that we're going to have to fill if we want anything to change.
0: Well, if the goal is to change things, then I'm with you. But we have to just take things as they come, I think.
1: Leo nods and he reaches out a hand to you. Yeah. And for what it's worth, it's a lot easier to take things one step at a time when you've got someone walking next to you.
0: He's gonna squeeze his hand. About a week later, Koch's boat finally pulls into the harbor outside of Candlelight Wharf. The first thing that strikes you, Leo, is the lighthouse. It is not like anything you've ever seen. It is a tall spindly tower with an open top where there is just fire coming out. Like, obviously, it's stoked pretty frequently because it is just casting this warm light over the entire harbor, which you would assume is how the town got its name. The second thing you notice is that Not from the lighthouse, but from a few of the buildings on shore, you see Stoutwood banners hanging.
1: Leo, as per usual, is up on deck because of seasickness reasons, and he sees the banners and quietly says, Oh, shit. Fee, standing next to you at the
0: railing, goes,
1: What? You know, I know we had a talk back in Oskaya about how I'm bad at keeping things low-key. We need to keep things really low-key here. Or, I can't emphasize how hard I'm going to die.
0: You know, eventually we're going to go over a tally of all the people that you pissed off in the last five years, just so I can make sure to steer clear.
1: To be fair, I didn't do anything bad to the King of Stoutwood. He's just a nasty little man who did drug me and aid and abet my kidnapping.
0: Fee makes a phase at that, but doesn't say anything. As you're looking over the town, you do see the uh, signature kind of mishmash of architecture that you noticed when you were in Stoutwood proper. It is very clearly affiliated. The boat goes ahead and docks, and I think Katra comes over and she says, Well, my favor, and she dips a quick bow, is fulfilled. Get off the boat.
1: Leo bows back very respectfully. You have our sincerest gratitude, she who rode the snapping turtle. I really appreciate your willingness to help us with this. And respectfully, I hope we never see you again.
0: She claps you on the shoulder and says, the feeling is mutual. And she walks off to attend to something else on the boat. You and Feed disembark into the town of Candlelight Wharf.
1: If Leo has access to any kind of clothing that's on the boat, maybe even if this one's family gave him anything i feel like maybe he has a rough spun cloak of some kind he's got the hood clear up face down trying very hard not to let anybody see him
0: yeah that seems wise fee feels no need to do this fee is just walking next to you as you're trying to be very inconspicuous (laughs) all six feet of her in her storm cloud cape (laughs)
1: Leo just has one hand up over his face as he's walking, trying to keep passerby from looking at him, and quietly says to Fee, Okay, so our first step is, we need to find somewhere to sit down, because I have a couple letters to write. And our second step is, we need to get the fuck out of
0: here. Fee gives you this big fake smile and says, like we said, we're taking things as they come. (laughs) Keep your fucking cool.
1: I'm doing my best. Leo pulls his hood a little tighter around his face. If the cloak has drawstrings, I think he just pulls it in until only his nose is peeking out,
0: like a mall goth. God. Okay. Fine. Roll me survival to find a bar where you can uh, sit down for a minute to write your letters.
1: <gasps> That's a natural goddamn twenty. I've never. Yeah. That's the same dice from the combat earlier this episode, by the way. I listened to Eleonora tell me so many stories about this town. I know where the best bars are. I haven't even been here before. I just listened to my girlfriend when she talked to me. God! (laughs) You wander through the city for a bit, and then you see
0: a sign for a place called the Drunken Duck, which Eleonora spoke of quite highly. The sign is just a lovingly rendered image of a duck with a bottle of whiskey. It's beautiful. You go in. It is a nice bar. The drinks are reasonably priced. You can smell very good food. It's a bit crowded. There are a lot of people who are aware that the drunken duck rocks. You see a lot of people milling about, mostly humans, orcs, goblins, halflings. People that mostly populate the sovereign principalities of Tardun. You see also a few Goliath and Firbolg, not a lot, and a surprising number of Stormfolk.
1: Okay, cool. We roll up into this place. I see that it is cool. I mentally blow a kiss to the sky for Eleonora. We get a table, and I turn over to Fee and say, So, have you ever heard of a mozzarella stick? A what? How about a curry worst? Again, no. You're about to have such a good day. (laughs) We still have a good amount of our shiny rocks from the games. I am going to attempt to exchange those, since there are people from Uskaya here who probably have the same currency, to get us a spread of food and a couple of very strong drinks. Yeah, you see, the
0: barmaid, this pretty young woman looks to be at least partially of Stormfolk heritage, like she has the kind of opalescent effect in the low light of the bar and you see as she gives you a smile and starts exchanging your shiny rocks. You see that she has the familiar pointy shark-like teeth, but as she like brushes her hair behind her ear, you notice that her ears are rounded. So you would guess that she is at least partially human. Big sunny smile despite the shark teeth. (laughs) And just starts exchanging your stuff, hands you your order. Fee is kind of sitting awkwardly back at your table, just waiting.
1: I bring her our food and our drinks. You two start to dig in. You said you were writing some letters? Yes. I want to write two. I'm going to write one to Wilhelmina Chaser, And as a fallback, I am also going to write one to Bertrand Silvertree.
0: So you start writing these letters. Thea is scoping out the crowd in this bar, trying not to be super obvious about it, but uh, checking people out, seeing
1: what's going on. Both of the letters that I'm writing are essentially the same letter, just, hey, against all odds, I'm back in the country. You know what my situation is. Can I stay with you? And with each letter, For Bertrand, I'm going to package up a bar of this one's Magical Oskayan soap. It's not magic soap, it's just soap. (laughs) (laughs) It's done wonders for my skin, so... (laughs) But I package up the soap for him, and then for the letter... With Wilhelmina, I also add an addendum of hope you and Warren are both well, looking forward to seeing you both. And for Wilhelmina, I package up a bar of soap. And for Warren, I take one of the cool shiny rocks that we got from Oskaya and package it up. And take it back up to the bar, try to flag down the same barmaid that helped us. Hey, do you have a messenger that comes through here by any chance?
0: The barmaid kind of tilts her head. She goes... Not here, but there's a
1: courier, uh, three buildings down the road to the left, I believe. Okay, thank you so much. I will handle that business later tonight. I really appreciate the insight. And I go back to the table.
0: Fee is still, like, cautiously poking at the weird Tordunian bar food that you've ordered for her.
1: Eat the mozzarella stick, Fee. You'll thank me.
0: She gives you a very dubious look. But does chomp down on a mozzarella. It's like,
1: holy shit. Right? (laughs) Okay, so apparently I'm going to have to run up the street to a courier. I have a couple letters that need delivered. One is to a very good friend of mine who is the Queen Regent of Lockham. And the other one is to (sighs) my former sugar daddy. V gets that delighted look in her eye that
0: younger siblings get when their older siblings have just said something mockable. Oh, we're getting back in contact with the gentleman, are we? We're going to hope it doesn't
1: come to that. He's a very nice old man. The former person in this conversation can help us way more. Anyway, I have to go for a bit. Are you going to be able to hold it down here while I'm gone?
0: Yes, Leo, I'm capable of sitting alone at a table and eating fried cheese. (laughs) Make sure you kiss the letter to your sugar daddy before you send it. It wasn't like that.
1: (sighs) I'll see you in a bit. And he just turns around and leaves. Don't have too much fun. He puts one middle finger up over his shoulder as he walks away. Fee, you sit there picking out your appetizer platter and enjoying your drink for a few more minutes. A lot of people are coming and going out of this bar. It's very crowded. It's pretty cramped inside. The tables are pretty close together. You don't really mark much of the coming and goings of people just because it is so hectic. But you do notice at one point a group of five storm folk walk in, very clearly in Sailor's Garb. You and Leo were sitting in a corner booth around a small round table, and they set up on the other corner of this booth, around another table very close to you. Mostly, you notice them just because of their proximity to you. Sitting closest to you in the booth, there is a young Stormfolk woman with a close-cropped black pixie cut that flashes different shades of green in the low light of the bar as she turns around talking to her friends. She is the only one in this party of people that is noticeably armed because she is about five feet tall and has a claymore that is the size of her strapped to her back. And she looks like she's got the guns to wield it. She's in a leather vest and a linen shirt with the sleeves ripped out and she's just absolutely ripped next to her in the booth is a somewhat weedier but a little bit taller young stormfolk man who has very thick coke bottle glasses on his face very crisply pressed sailor's garb and a nice little hat on his head they all order their drinks he gets a glass of juice and is just sipping at it slowly On the other side of the table, there is the biggest fucking elf you've ever seen in your life. Very large, almost seven feet tall Stormfolk guy with a blonde buzz cut that flashes green and pink and yellow under the lowlights of the bar. Ripped as hell. Just a very intimidating figure. Beside him, there is... A figure that is almost as tall, but much skinnier, rail-thin, jet-black hair that as he turns to look at his companions, flashes all kinds of beautiful bright rainbow colors, reds and yellows and greens and blues. On his shoulder is sitting the most fucked-up bird you have ever seen in your life. The bird looks like, by all rights, it should be dead. There are several spots on it where flesh and feather has rotted away to reveal bones. And down one side of its face, it has a bunch of barnacles growing. It looks like a pelican that maybe died and fell in the ocean and definitely should not be alive. And it's just hanging out on this guy's shoulder. You don't really get a chance to see the last person that has sat down in this booth because you didn't really look over until they sat down next to you. You just see a tricorn hat and the bottoms of a pair of boots that are propped up on the table crossed in front of this person's face. After a few minutes, you see the same barmaid that was taking care of you and Leo come over and start talking to everybody. She leans over to the tall, skinny guy with the long hair and the fucked up bird, and says, Sir, I'm very sorry to inform you, but we do have a no-pet policy within the bar. And from this dude's shoulder, this messed up pelican whips its head around towards the barmaid, opens its mouth, and a voice dripping with gravitas. Like, the voice of Sir Patrick Stewart comes out of this bird, and it says, Madam, I will have you know that I am a service animal. (laughs) (laughs) The barmaid blinks a couple times and says, All right, understandable, what can I get for all of you? She nods and starts jotting down these people's orders. They all seem to be ordering pretty much the same drinks, a spread of food. Juice for the young man in the glasses. Before she leaves the table, you see a hand shoot up from the person whose face is obscured by their boots up on the table and pull her down. This person whispers something in her ear, and you watch the young lady with the big sword and the pixie cut put her head in her hands and say, Cava's ah, breath, here we go again. The barmaid retreats from the table, comes back with their order a couple minutes later, and then she makes her way over to your table. With a somewhat tense smile, she plunks down a corked bottle of what is very clearly Australian wine. This is a gift from the gentleman at the next table over. He wanted to make sure that I let you know that there are no strings attached. It's simply a gesture of goodwill. She puts an empty wine glass down in front of you and walks away as quickly as she can.
0: Fee raises her eyebrows extremely high. And then reaches out, pours herself half a glass of wine, and raises it in the direction of the other table.
1: From the other table, the person that has been obscured by the pair of crossed boots up on the edge of the table leans forward, you see the boots pivot apart, and through the gap between the soles of the boots, you see a Stormfolk man of about 150, 160, human equivalent of early 30s, with a long, beachy, wavy shock of violently orange hair done up in a side ponytail that is falling down over his shoulder. As he looks up to smile at you, the opalescence of his skin and his hair shifts, and you see flashes of deep ruby red and bright gold in his hair, and in the freckles sprayed across his face, you see flashes of pink and green. He has this beat-up tricorn hat on top of his head and a plethora of jewelry, gold and silver and gems, hands laden down with rings, neck full of gold and silver chains, and a shirt that is open all the way to the waist of his pants, underneath this big frock coat you've been around a lot of people that have had issues with scar tissue before you know alasha always really prioritized staying out of the sun because it could damage a lot of the scar tissue that she had and you see a little bit of the consequence of that there because with this dude sitting there with his shirt open you can see that the sun has very clearly made the two horizontal scars across his chest bright and opalescent flashing the same colors as his freckles underneath the low light of the bar he makes eye contact with you with those flat white eyes that all storm folks seem to have winks, flashes you a sharp toothed smile and puts his feet back together and goes back to talking to the girl sitting next to him
0: he takes an extremely big sip of her wine and just does an awkward thumbs up <laughs> and then realizes how awkward that was and just stares deeply into her wine
1: glass. You sit there for a moment after awkwardly giving a thumbs up to this very handsome man that just bought you a bottle of wine, and then he stands up from the table. He's about 5'7", five, 5'8", five, very sharp, chiseled features, and he sidles over to your table, nods down at the chair that Leo vacated several minutes ago, And says in this very brassy, confident voice, a little higher than you'd expect, like a warm alto. I'd hate to be a bother to you, lass, but I just couldn't help but wonder if this seat was taken.
0: She chugs the rest of her glass of wine and says, No, no, uh, not for the moment, at least.
1: From the table next to you, you hear... Uh, And the girl with the pixie cut has her head in her hands again. Roll Perception. 18. As this girl groans and he moves to sit down, you see his leg dart out and he kicks her underneath the chair. And she grinds the heel of her boot down into the top of his foot. He just barely winces. You almost don't see it. But with a quiet, "Mm," he sits down in the chair. And with this big, rakish, crooked smile, you notice that he has a small scar kind of pulling down at one corner of his mouth. He steeples his fingers in front of him and says, I hope I wasn't too far off on your preferred choice of beverage. You seemed like you might want something a little familiar, being as far from home as you are. What brings a fair Australian lass like yourself all the way out to Tordoon? The leans
0: forward, puts her chin in her hand, tries to seem coy and like she has nothing to
1: hide neither of which are true go on
0: oh just on a bit of a sightseeing trip
1: roll me deception
0: ah that's a 15 on the dice which is 23
1: okay let me roll insight for our friend even though it's not mechanically possible for him to roll higher than that no yeah that was a 15 (laughs) So because he rolled lower than you on that, you do see a very brief, odd look across his face. It seems like he's almost making this expression subconsciously. His eyes narrow a little bit, and you notice his head tilt a bit to the side. But then he recovers, nods, and reaches out to grab the bottle of wine. Pours himself a drink. Even though it's your bottle, he doesn't ask. He grabs an empty flagon off the table next to you, where all of his buddies are kind of just... staring at him. Fills it up more than is proper with the wine, and takes a big slug of it before slamming it down on the table. Personally, the stuff tastes like bilge water to me, but, you know,
0: any port in a storm, right? Did you come over here for a conversation, or just to insult my national exports?
1: He throws his head back and lets out this big musical laugh. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, you know, insulting Australians is one of my more highly developed skills, but I'm more inclined to let the pretty ones have a pass. Apologies if I've offended. He reaches into the inside pocket of this very nice brocade frock coat that he has on and pulls out a business card that he lays down in front of you. Roll me perception once more, please. Fifteen. As he's doing this, at the table next to you, you see the really big guy with the buzz cut stand up and walk out a side door into the alley outside the bar. But then you look down at the business card in front of you, and it identifies him as one Ernest Hammerbrook, an importer of fine Zephyr Isles goods based in Gimtarum.
0: Fee picks the business card up, raises her eyebrows, says,
1: Well, you're pretty far from home yourself. Aye, you caught me, born and raised in Purport. But I think we can both agree that sometimes pursuit of our own higher purpose can lead us far from where we started. Well, I'll drink to that. Fee's gonna grab the bottle of wine back and pour herself another glass. You two clink your glasses and, Ernest, Winks at you, raises his flagon, and completely just downs it. And who do I have the pleasure of drinking with, if you don't mind me asking?
0: Fee takes another sip of her wine as an excuse to think for a second, and then clears her throat, nods a little bit. Augustina Javaris, pleasure to meet you.
1: You're gonna have to roll a couple checks on this. Uh, First, deception, please. Sixteen. Okay, he rolled a 12. Nothing there. I am going to need you to roll Insight with Advantage.
0: I'm going to use one of my rerolls on Gift of the Stormbringer. And I'm going to use a second one. Okay, I rolled a 17 on the die, but with my Insight modifier, it's
1: a 16. You give this guy your alias, and he fully leans back in his chair and puts his flagon down with a thunk on the table. He looks thrown off for a second, and almost worried. But then he recovers, picks the flagon back up, takes another long, long swig out of it, and says, A fair name for a fairer loss." To your health. Fee raises
0: her glass back and says, And to yours.
1: At the table next to you, Fee, with that perception check, you notice that all of these people have kind of been eyeing you guys the entire time you've been talking. When you give that name, two of them react in the same way that Ernest did. The kid, who like, very clearly is Elvin equivalent of close to 15 is still just sitting there with his juice. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. He's just kind of hanging out. The tall, skinny dude with the big, infernal pelican on his shoulder, you see the bird lean over and mumble something into his ear, and his eyes go really big. And the girl with the pixie cut and the really big sword, you see her head twitch to the side a little bit, even though she's pointedly not looking at you.
0: Fee puts her wine glass down and plasters on a big, fake, grand duchess-type smile. She's going to lean into Ernest and say, I believe I've had a little too much to drink tonight. I'm going to step out for a moment.
1: He still looks really rattled as you look at him, but sort of blinks, <laughs> shakes his head, and says, I think I'm getting there myself. I'll, I'll be waiting when you get back.
0: Fee. Leaning into the performance a little bit, I think, laughs very quietly, goes, <laughs> I'm sure you will. And then she steps out the door.
1: There are two doors. There is a front door out onto the street where you just came from, and there is a side door into an alley. Front door. Night has fallen. By the time you leave this front door, you walk outside. Roll perception for me. 12. Very loudly from around the corner in the alley beside the bar, you hear your brother's voice shouting at someone saying, You're gonna fucking regret this! Ah, fuck. Okay, uh, I'm heading around the corner then, obviously. You round the corner into this alley, and you see Leo standing there, eyes wide, hands half-raised, and standing behind him is the big Stormfolk dude with the blonde buzz cut knife up to his throat. Fee
0: pulled the orb out as she rounded the corner. So she's got that in one hand and the other one raised. And she smiles pleasantly and says, Now, my good sir, this doesn't have to get ugly.
1: Fee, you did not roll the DC 15, it would have taken on that perception check to anticipate what happens next. You feel, digging in past the boning of your corset, the point of a very sharp knife at your back.
0: (laughs) Now, Mr. Hammerbrook, I thought we were having too nice of a conversation.
1: Right next to your ear, you hear a now-familiar musical alto laugh, and then a voice says, don't blame yourself, lass. You put on a good show. It's not your fault that Killian and Miriam are faster than you are. I'd apologize for the deception, but it strikes me that I never actually told you my name was Ernest Hammerbrook. And, <laughs> to be fair to him, he hasn't used his identity much since I killed him. Most folks just call me the Captain. I'm the Pirate King of the Zephyr Isles. And you'll be coming with us. And that is where we are going to end for this week. How are you feeling, buddy? Uh, (laughs) I know he's hot. I know he's hot. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, This was just mean.
1: And we'll figure out where this is going next time.
0: On Compelled (laughs) Duel.
1: Hey everybody, Barry here with The Postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As always, we're going to go ahead and plug our social medias. You can find us on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at CompelledDuel. You can also find us on TikTok at Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We also have a lot of cool stuff like an official Spotify account, an official website. You can find all of that stuff linked on our various social media pages. If you're enjoying what you're hearing so far on the podcast, we ask that you consider maybe heading over to patreon.com slash compelled duel, where starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to all kinds of awesome perks, like early access to episodes, access to bonus content, even letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting the podcast in other ways than pledging to the Patreon, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you consider leaving us a rating and a review. That helps us get promoted to a wider listener base and grow our audience. And as always, word-of-mouth advertising is the most powerful tool we have available to us right now, so if you're enjoying Compelled Duel, just tell three friends about it, and if they like it, ask them to tell three friends. Our next episode is going to be going up on Friday, July 16th, 2021, or if you are a member of our Patreon, you'll get your early access on Thursday, July 15th. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next week. It's going to be a good one.